Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. It was crazy to me 
it was crazy to me when you and I started uh, talking about doing this uh, this uh, John Saxon episode. I never realized that he started acting as young as he did. I mean, the earliest uh, things that I remember him from, well, obviously, again, we talked about this. It's, it's about your, uh, you know, your, uh, your age group. But the earliest things I remember him from were uh, like 70s TV shows. I never knew that he started acting all the way back way back when he did but then again you know i wasn't born until the 70s so of course i you know i never saw a, it should happen to you or a star is born when i was a kid or he and was so, uncredited real quick they were uncredited roles as boy he didn't even get a character name he was and that it's happened to you he was boy watching argument in park and movie premiere <laughs> usher and a star is born Right. And it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to disseminate as well, because, you know, being the movie and TV aficionado that I am, I've I've seen so many things as an adult that I never would have watched when I was younger that, you know, it's hard for me to really remember the first time that I ever actually that I actually saw him in a role, you know, and, but, and that, and that's why we've had the conversation over the past couple of weeks where I say, you know, the first role I really remember seeing him in was a nightmare on Elm street, but I've seen him in, you know, obviously hundreds of things, Yeah. but well, don't forget that was one of the, one of the worst parts of the VHS generation and the DVD generation is that, the studios were reluctant to deal with what they called old product. Right. Well, you would, uh, so, it wasn't until Criterion where there really was a market for older movies. Right. Now, but, yeah, he was in Running Wild, which is a good one if you haven't seen it. It's a bizarre little noir, and he's a place, a small character Nat, uh unguarded moment in Rock Pretty Baby, which was your basic rock and roll film. Let's see who was, if this is his first AIP movie, that would be important. Yeah. Sound uh, like video, John Saxon. No, this is Universal, December 56. Like I said, I, I I liked Running Wild a lot, but I mostly watched that because I had a big crush on Mamie Van Doren when I was a teenager. So he, he's kind of a blip on the radar in that one for me. I, I really watched it for Mamie Van Doren. But, yeah, yeah but... Running Wild, though that is that's a good movie. I mean, if if you're into like if yeah, if you want to watch, uh, I guess what they called in the fifties juvenile delinquent movies. That one was fun, for sure. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, here's where he is but, the generic in the generic role in these restless years of looking debutantes, happy feeling, summer love, uh, cry tough. The Big Fisherman, The Unforgiven, Portrait in Black, The Plunders, 
Here's where his big first big thing is, is that Westerns, uh, The Plunderers and Posse from Hell. That's one of those, if you mispronounce one of the words, people think you're a filthy motherfucker. <laughs> what did you see last night, George? Oh, I seen some Posse from Hell. You seen some what? I seen Posse from Hell. The Posse actor? Oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, right. War Hunt, Mr. Hobbs takes a vacation. Yeah. Um, oh. What? I think. I think one of one of the first ones that caught my eye, and again, this is probably something that I saw years after I was already aware of who John Saxon was, but uh, Blood Beast from Outer Space. Oh, that, we're getting you know, there. We haven't got to that. That's uh, 1966. Next is yeah. The Girl Who Knew Too Much, a.k.a. Evil Eye. And why is that film so important? I don't, I don't remember that one. It was uh, directed by... It was. It's considered one of the first Jalos ever made. And it was directed by Mario Bava. Really? Yeah. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen it. I got it in uh, the two uh, Anchor Bay Mario Bava box sets they put out. Huh? Does not sound familiar to me at all. And I'm a big Mario Bava fan, but yeah. So John Saxon was the lead role in that one? Yeah. Huh. Well, tell me a little bit about it. What's the story about? A plot involves a young woman named Nora who travels to Rome and sees a murder. A murder. 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 (laughs) The police and Dr. Rossi don't believe her because a corpse cannot be found. Several murders followed, tied to a decades-long string of murders chosen in alphabetical order. The Girl Who Knew Too Much is considered to be the first Jalo film. And the alternative cut called Evil Eye was released in the United States by AIP. So this this follows along with what we were talking about before, about how... So at this point, was John Saxon doing or working a lot with AIP, or this one just happened to be picked up by AIP for picked up by AIP because uh, after Black Sunday was a big hit for him, they pretty much grabbed any Mario Bava film they could because he was like one of the big names. You could just put his name in a drive-in as a director, and he'd be like, oh. Right, (laughs) right. Uh, The Cavern, the Ravagers, the Nightcaller, and here's the one that you were talking about, Queen of Blood. Right. Yeah. I and you know honestly that might be one that again I I don't remember when I first saw that it would have been. Uh, way before I knew either way before or way after I knew who John Saxon was so 
I'm not sure, but yeah, that was one that I always I always like. Uh, what's what's the plot there? They have to uh, the they have to find mates from another world. No, <laughs> they have to uh, mate. the plot is an alien species contacts Earth, say they were journeying across the galaxy and makes their formal contact. And they go there, and it turns out that the only one left alive is a vampiric queen, a vampiric green-skinned woman. And it was directed by, you might have heard of this guy, Curtis Harrington. Right. Co-starring Basil Rathbone. And in one of his first movies, Dennis Hopper. Right. Now, see, I think it's interesting that you mentioned earlier that Dennis Hopper was one of the actors who was, as you say, quote-unquote, groomed into a life of uh, of acting because Dennis Hopper is fairly well-known, I think, to anyone who listens to our podcast or anyone who knows anything about film history. He was kind of a, a rebel when it came to... to uh, acting and directing, yeah. writing, all of that. So it's kind of funny. Uh, if he was, if he was uh, groomed for, uh, for stardom, uh, the grooming didn't take too well, I, would, I wouldn't say. No, <laughs> he was a Strasburg student and a method actor. He followed more uh, James Dean and... Uh, Marlon Brando. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Queen of Blood is a creepy little movie, and it's one of the big two that Dan O'Bannon said that he was inspired to write Alien by, the other one being It the Terror from Outer Space. Right. I can see that. Yeah. No, when, uh, yeah, you, you were talking about Queen of Blood. I was still... Uh, focused on Blood Beast from Outer Space. That was what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's another title for it. Right. Mm. Don't forget, that's how they got legs on a movie back then. They would just retitle it and ship it back out and hope to God that no one got pissed, and no one ever did. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Unless they liked the movie, then they got pissed that it came back in town and they didn't get a chance to see it because it had a different title. But then, you know, we talk about that same uh, phenomenon in, uh, you know, in the 80s. We've talked about this before on uh, on the podcast, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, which was essentially the same movie. They just shipped yeah. it back out with a few ex- padded with a few extra um, scenes. That pissed people off a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And next is the Appaloosa, thing. which he co-starred with Marlon Brando. Right. Uh, so. So he kind of he went back to uh, he went back to. Uh, Westerns. Uh, Westerns again, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Then there's for singles mm-hmm. only, which is another part. Not cuts and one, but then we go back to one dollar too many. Death of a Gunfighter, Joe Kidd. <laughs> right? And Joe Kidd was uh, the one with uh, Clint Eastwood, where he plays like the modern detect- cowboy detective, the one they based McCloud off of. Right. Right. This and then. They start playing bad guys. Right. And then we talked about this uh, yesterday when we were talking. I I was saying that he got into TV roles and his, like, some of these TV roles that he did shortly after that were uh, were Western. Uh, yeah. I want to say Bonanza. He was on Bonanza, right? Yeah. He did some episodes. Yeah, he did some episodes of Bonanza and... Ah, I know there was another one. Jesus. Let's listen to the star, the lineup on Joe Kidd, directed by John Sturgis, written by Elmore Leonard. Damn. Clint Eastwood, Robert Duvall, John Saxon. Jesus. That's that's another one that, that takes me off guard, because I didn't realize that Elmore Leonard was working back then. I mean... Oh, I know. yeah, he did a lot. Yeah, he was a Western guy before he became a crime guy. Uh, huh. Let's see. Hondo, he wrote. Uh, Cato's Land. Huh. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I've always known Elmore Leonard as, like, the crime guy. Yeah, I never knew that he was... I never realized that he wrote uh, Western. That's cool. Yeah. Huh. But, yeah, that's... You know, I think... Again, this is going back in time. This is before... You know, before I knew who El... Uh, El Moreland. Before I knew who John Saxon was, I probably saw him, like I said, in episodes of Bonanza and didn't realize it. But now, but I don't know if they have... always had that voice you would know it as soon as you heard it. Right. I don't know if they have it uh, where you live, but uh, here in Maine, they have a... There's only a few TV stations that you can still get if you don't have cable or internet. And one of them is called Me TV, and they just show yeah, reruns. Of, yeah, they just show reruns of old shows all day long, and so sometimes I'll be sitting around watching Bonanza, and an episode will pop up, and John Saxon will be on it. You know, so that's the he only reason like I remember. Smoke that. Too, but who wasn't working in westerns besides Clint Eastwood? Would back then because Queens would worked on wagon train that wasn't on gun smoke. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't remember any episodes of gun smoke with John Saxon, but I'm sure they'll one of them will pop up on me TV some afternoon when I'm laying around on the couch. Yeah. Watching TV. Yeah. And now we get three that our generation that's really big on the list. And that's 1973 with, of course, Enter the Dragon. 
Most people forget that John Saxon pretty much was the ringer on Enter the Dragon because they wanted what they considered a Hollywood star to <laughs> play the, to bring in the mainstream audience. You know, we got to have a Hollywood mainstream star. Oh, we'll get John Saxon. Oh, we want to get the black exploitation crowd too. So what do we want to do? We're going to get Jim the Dragon Kelly. Uh, yep. That's how much real faith they had in Bruce Lee when that movie came out. Right. Who cares if you went on the deuce in the grindhouse and the drive-ins? The first two Bruce Lee films are already making money hand over fist. And that would be the big boss and uh, uh, Fist of Fury. Yeah. Now, for my money, I prefer Fist of Fury over Enter the Dragon. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about John Saxon. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great way to introduce Bruce Lee into there. But to me, the exciting part of uh, Enter the Dragon is the background players. Uh, Like, who is the guy that Bruce Lee is fighting in the first brawl in Enter the Dragon? Mm, I don't remember. Sammo Um, Hung. Oh, yeah. That's right. And who plays Bruce Lee's sister in Enter the Dragon? Well, if her last name isn't Lee, then I'm not buying it. Angela Malyung, star of Lady Whirlwind and Deep Thrust. Yep, Angela Malyung, yep. And who gets his ass kicked about two or three times by Bruce Lee in the final fight, including the classic scene where Bruce Lee is grabbing him by the balls and he makes that goofy-ass face that we always laughed at when we've seen it got to be the Jackie Chan theme that you're talking about. Jackie Chan. (laughs) Jackie Chan, yep. So, so many stars came out of that movie besides Bruce Lee, and that's what Bruce Lee really wanted it to do. He wanted to make, oh, he he wanted to make a lot of stars rather than just himself. Same with Bolo Young. Yeah. Who was the only... Kung Fu guy who was ripped. I mean, he really worked out in the gym. There's no way you could mistake Bolo Young for anyone else. Right. <laughs> Sam O'Hall was in uh, Enter the Dragon, too. Who? Sam O'Hung. Yeah. Yeah, he was in there, too. Yeah, Only Sam for a- was the guy that Bruce Lee fought at the first during the training sequence. Back when he was, yeah. uh, before he packed on that muscle. And literally, that's what it is. He wasn't fat. That was sumo muscle. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I always like Samuel Hung. He was always a, I, he always brings joy whenever he, uh, whenever he shows up in a Kung Fu movie. I yeah. always like him. And all of the fight scenes in uh, Game of Death that weren't filmed by Bruce Lee 
aka the stuff in the tower that was Bruce Lee was all fought was all directed by Samo. Right. I can't believe that Samo Hung never showed up in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I mean I know. Not not just Kill Bill or, you know, Kill Bill Volume Two, but he just seems like the kind of character actor that Tarantino would, would pop in a movie for for something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But who knows? Well, like me and I Kill Bill, everyone's like, who the fuck is this bald guy? I'm like, that's Gordon <laughs> Liu. You want to know what the <laughs> fuck that right? part is? What? <laughs> 70. Right? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? But, yeah, I mean, the thing, another bad thing about Enter the Dragon is uh, Bruce, uh, John Sachs, originally in the last third of the movie, is supposed to be Jim Kelly and Bruce Lee doing the final fight, not John Saxon. But John Saxon's agent raised the stink, so and Jim Ke- Dragon Kelly was like, they were like, oh God, uh, Mr. Kelly, sir, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, John Saxon won't die. Uh, would you mind doing the death scene? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, and that's how we got. Uh, his career started just because he was willing to play ball without, you know, no fighting, no fuss, no prima donna shit. He's just like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> right. So they gave him that extra scene at the first of the movie where he fights the two cops. Yep. And you can just imagine how that played in the black audiences back then, seeing a black guy just kick the hell out of two white cops in the hood. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, not, for, what? not for nothing, but imagine how that would play out today. <laughs> oh, mean, yeah. Kind of, especially in an era where, this is going to be real quick and painful, a woman gets kindergarten cop banned from a drive-in because it's too pro-cop. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But moving on, the, I said there's three. Yeah, there is three. 1974, uh, John Saxon went up to Canada to film a movie with uh, Bob Clark. Yeah. And yep. what movie would that be, Nate? Black Christmas. God, that one is good. That's a good movie. I tell, you know, the funny thing about that is, I tell people about Black Christmas all the time, and they say, "I've never heard of it, but you can name three other." Only movies they've seen them a thousand times. Yeah. And you know, and you know the movies I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, Orky, if you want to get into. Black Christmas was the first really modern, eight, eight, the first 
Speedy Slasher with Black Christmas that he came out in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> right? Didn't we? I think we. I don't know. If, I don't know if we talked about this on another podcast that we had done, or if we wrote about it on the website. But we've talked about Black Christmas before, because, yeah, we we definitely uh, talked about it in some capacity before because yeah we agreed that it was definitely like the first 80s slasher film but it didn't come out in the 80s but it has that same formula and it plays the same plays the same game uh but yeah yeah black christmas is great anyone out there listening who has never seen black christmas well Wait until Christmas to watch it, because it is a Christmas movie after all. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. And it is good. <laughs> and I, it's one I of have the a... three building blocks. I call them the building block slashers, because 99% of, of the 80s slashers came from Black Christmas, Friday the 13th, and Halloween. Yep. Yep, for sure. Um, yeah, Black Christmas, um, there's another movie that it reminds me of, I can't think of right off the top of my head, though, um, what's, what's the movie where the, uh, no, I'm not even going to go down the road, it's just going to waste time, I can't, I can't (laughs) come up with it off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah, the rabbit hole's like, come to us. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to And gonna, now I'm we not... got one that is beloved by the MST3K crowd. And that would be Mitchell. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I you love me some one. Mitchell. I love me some Mitchell. And yeah, It's funny you mentioned the MST3K version because Joe Don Baker has famously gone on record saying that he does not appreciate the fact that uh, the MST3K uh, group made fun of him and teased him about that movie. But I have always loved Mitchell, even before. And I'm a big MST3K fan, but I have always loved Mitchell. And it's so funny to me because uh in the movie joe don baker he tries to play a tough guy uh detective but he's kind of a buffoon even though he's not trying to play it that way but he just kind of comes off that way but john saxon john saxon really does raise that movie to another level because he plays the badass and he plays it convincingly and he plays it well and it's, I don't know, if you've never seen the movie, I would recommend watching it on its own before you go watch the uh, Mystery Science Theater version, because it is actually, uh, it's actually a fun movie on its own. It's a detective <laughs> flick. Um, uh, Mitchell is the detective. He's trying to solve a murder. Uh, John Saxon plays a sleazy bad guy um, who may or may not be the killer. You don't know. Really, um, I mean, you do know, but you don't really know. <laughs> like, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've always loved that movie. I think I saw it when I was growing up. Uh, 
when I was a kid, there were a couple of TV stations that always showed old movies. <clears throat> I think I've mentioned this before. There was uh, Channel 56 and Channel 38. And Channel 56 would show Creature Double Feature and Kung Fu Theater on Saturday mornings. So you could see old Godzilla movies and old Kung Fu movies, which is probably where I first saw Enter the Dragon, actually. And then uh, Channel 38 would show, uh, on Friday nights, they'd show old movies. And it was always just a mixed bag of whatever they wanted to show. And that's where I first saw Mitchell. And, uh, you know, I was... I was old enough to know that it was kind of a ridiculous movie, but still young enough to be fascinated by it. Like, Ooh, detective movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah, if you've never, if you've never seen Mitchell see it, if for no other reason than, uh, than the John Saxon performance, because he is actually the best thing about that movie. The rest of it is kind of hilariously, uh, bad, but, and, and you know, Hey, it has some you know. of the meanest fucking jokes ever for MST3K episode. Even I'm like, God damn, on some. Like the infamous. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like the infamous. You can smell the beer sweat in the morning <laughs> from the body. <laughs> damn. <Right. laughs> yeah, yeah. What? What? Uh, the. The first sex scene in Crow is like, why would anyone do this with Mitchell Joel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just brutal. <laughs> and next, he goes back over to Italy because he's, this is, I think, I don't know if, the, I'm checking to see if this is a police film. No, oh, shit, Blazing Magnums. Ugh. Blazing Magnums, huh? Yeah, Blazing Magnums or Strange Shadows in an Empty Bedroom. God, this movie is just fucking insane. It has uh, Stuart Whitman playing a cop who's basically a psychotic going around just blowing criminals' heads off for supposedly killing his hooker girlfriend. It's just completely insane. I have never seen that movie. Do you have the Grindhouse Experience set? Uh, yeah, I have. I have. Aren't there two different volumes of it? Yeah. I. Yeah, I think I have both of them. Yeah. The black one has but, it on there. It's called Blazing Magnums, and it's just one of the best damn police uh, Italian cop action movies. If you haven't seen any of them, prepare for something very dark and nasty. By the end of an Italian cop film, you're going to be more afraid of the cop than you are the criminals because the cops are some scummy motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, so wait, is that is that the one? All right, I'm thinking about it now. I So it's a, there's a robbery. Right at the beginning, and the mobster yeah. kills the cop, and then the cops go out and start killing mobsters. Right? Yeah. Is that the movie you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, I remember it now. Yeah. Yep. It's fucking brutal. It's brutal as hell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 
Griffin basically plays Dirty Harry in that. Yeah, like you said, he's just the badass cop who just goes around. Yeah, yeah. If God saves the people, he just goes around killing the people he wants to kill. Save us. Right. I got to kill him first. <laughs> if that movie was made in the 80s, it would have totally had one of those scenes where the chief of police was like, I want your badge and your gun. You're off the case. <laughs> and uh, next is uh, Mark Strikes Again, which is Mark the Cop. Let's see, a.k.a. the 44 Specialist. Yeah, see, that's the movie I thought you were talking about uh, when you mentioned the last one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mark is a cop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, this is during his uh, Polizia uh Phase and all I gotta say about all of them is just watch them. I love Italian cop movies. Yeah, me too. And I there's think there's a line funny, like, from uh, uh, Golden Dragons where Joe Don Baker runs and grabs a bunch of Chinese food and just eats it, and he just stops and turns to Kenny and says, "I love this Chinese chicken shit food." <laughs> That's how I feel about police movies. I love this Italian chicken shit cop. (laughs) 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 And next we have a special cop in action. I think it's kind of funny that, um, you know, talking about these movies and it it kind of, um, you know, a few weeks ago we did the, we did the live viewing of um once upon a time in hollywood and this is kind of this reminds me of that because you know yeah the one where uh uh he's wearing the brown beanie cap and stuff in there that's a that's from a mark the cop film right yeah and he's definitely he's definitely like john saxon definitely had like a career like this where he went overseas and did all these yeah. well in, in once upon a time in Hollywood uh yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio goes over and does a bunch of westerns but uh yeah this this was uh well, this Italian this action was, film fear and this one Italia uh Italy armed to the teeth yeah the main theme of this one was used is the it was used in the soundtrack to Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Yep. Right. Hmm. And it yep. has a very jaw-dropping ending, because this is one yep. of the films that him and Maurizio Merli played as cops, uh, cop and bad guy again. We got cross shot now. Another one of his. Uh, uh, the Killer Squad. This one has John Saxon, Lee J. Cobb in it. And was. This one I haven't seen, but it's an Italian cop film, so it's good. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm biased. The next is 
one of my favorite and one of the toughest damn titles you'll ever get. And this is the actual sequel to Umberto Lindsay's The Tough Ones, a.k.a. Rome Arm to the Teeth, which is uh, which Grindhouse put out uh, last year. And it's the cynic, the rat in the fist. Right? I never realized John Saxon that that was... plays the rat, the lead of the mafia, and uh, it has uh, Maurizio Merrily and Tomas yep. Milan is the other two bad guys. And Saxon said this movie was bizarre to make because Maurizio Merrily and Tomas Milan hated each other. So even if they're all three in the scene, they're never in the same shot together and never shot together. Because if they did, they would have tried to have killed each other. <laughs> right? I never <laughs> realized that that was a sequel to anything. But, yeah, I can see it. And I can see how this movie, um, it was definitely an influence on Tarantino. We're talking about that. Um, it it almost it seems like a like a cross between uh, Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill. If I had to oh, just name two. Oh, there's a lot of Tarantino stuff Tarantino. that he took from the Polizia and all that. You right. know. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Especially the mafia films with the skinny ties and the black suits and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know. I like I like this movie. Um, there's some, I don't know, there's some funny stuff. I, I mean, I say funny because I have a dark sense of humor, but there's some funny stuff in this movie about just like, uh, yeah, like I said, Kill Bill style. Uh, when the the cop uh after they try to kill the cop then he just comes back and just start killing everyone one after the other i always like umberto lenzi anyway like his movies are tasteless and tacky but they're all so like they're well done for just yeah, like for especially fun. his uh police films his crime films take it to the next freaking level for him Right? Yeah. After watching his crime films, you'll be like, Umberto, why did you waste time on these horror films? You should have made more cop <laughs> movies. Yeah. I mean, they really are that good. Yeah. Especially if you're an action he looked, junkie. Right? Yeah. I mean, I liked his zombie movies, too. I was really a big fan of, like, uh, Nightmare City and Cannibal Ferox, uh, you know, I always thought those were fun too. But yeah, his crime films were were better than anything else he ever did. Like there's a scene in the Tough Ones where Maurizio Merley crashes his car, gets thrown out the window, does a roll and lands on the ground and jumps up and shoots two guys in the other car. Right. That's badass. Yeah, and, and that's not one, only I that, actually but... got the poster to this one at the wall. I picked it up brand new at McKay's Hughes Bookstore, and that's Moonshine County Express. Huh. Nice. 
Yeah, even John Saxon did his moonshine film. He plays like a, it's basically a version not as fun of the one uh, Dixie Dynamite with uh, Warren Oates. Right. But then again, you don't have Warren Oates with that grin of his in this movie. <laughs> I I worked with a guy uh, many, many years ago, and I wish I could remember what movie it was, but I worked with this guy, and he, we were talking one day, he was a, he was an older guy, this was like his retirement job, uh, I worked at a pharmacy, and he was the custodian who came around and cleaned the pharmacy at night, and, uh, we were, we were always talking about movies, and he said, oh, I was in a movie one time. And I said, oh, yeah? And he's like, yeah. Uh, I was like, well, what movie was it? And he's like, I'll loan you a copy of it. Well, he had this old beat-up VHS copy of this movie that he was in that was from the 70s, and I wish I could remember which one it was because it was a moonshine movie. And he was only in it for, like, one second, you know, just had one scene in the whole movie, but he loaned it to me. And I took it home, I watched it, and, yeah, it was one of those wacky old moonshine movies. Like, you know, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination. It was definitely a low-budget movie from the 70s. Um, but I always wish I could remember which freaking movie it was because I'll, I'll never remember again in, in, until runners! I... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right? Until I accidentally run across a copy of it, you know, like... Yeah. I'll never remember. But it was just kind of neat. I also worked with a guy. Now, uh, I do remember this guy. Um, uh, what was the uh, what was the series of movies about the three kids who learned Kung Fu? Uh, oh, God, Lord, no. Not Three Ninjas. Yes, Three Ninjas. Yep. I worked with the guy who was in uh, the third Three Ninjas movie. And he loaned me a copy of that as well, and I watch it. He Punch was, him in the he mouth. Was a police he was a police officer in one scene, and all he does is come running out of the car and go, get him! <laughs> that was his whole scene. But Ew. he was really proud of himself. He was really proud of himself that he got to be in, in a movie. So, Not if I would have so. been there. I would have punched him in the mouth on principle. <laughs> you were in this? He's like, yeah.
The bees. The The bees with John Saxon. And you saw the movie cannot be worse. Well, no. The Swarm is still the worst of them. Yeah. Yeah, the Swarm is worse than the bees, but, yeah. uh, This is bad. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Bad man. I don't know. I, I always... I, I I shouldn't say always, but I like a lot of, you know, I like this whole, there was that whole era of films uh, of, you know, nature gone wild. And this was obviously one of them. Um, the animals, uh, kingdom of the spiders. Yeah. Um, kingdom of the spiders, even, if you're afraid of spiders, don't watch kingdom of the spiders. Yeah, well, if you're afraid of bees, don't watch the bees. I mean, that's a... Well, no, that one's <laughs> stupid enough you can make fun of it with the styrofoam bees. Kingdom of the Spiders is legitimately creepy, even if you like spiders. <laughs> <laughs> it's just legitimately I mean, scary. Yeah. Yeah, the bees is like the Ed Wood movie that Ed Wood never made. It's almost that bad, but... Now, the swarm is the one where they put... Here's how you can tell the difference. The bees is the one with the styrofoam bees, and the swarm is the one where they dump coffee on the camera lens. Yeah, right? (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) We're we're moving on. on, Next is uh, Fast Company. When I seen Fast Company in 1978, I'm like... God, this director's good. I hope he makes more movies on down the line. Did the guy who directed Fast Company ever make any more movies after this? Hmm, I don't know. What did he ever make any more movies? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I I think he made an. I think he made another movie or two. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one that David Cronenberg fans are ashamed of. Why? I don't know. It's fucking great. Yeah. I don't know either. Like, I can understand why if you got into David Cronenberg when he started in with his, like, body horror stuff and, you know, all of his weirder movies as he's moved on with his career, I can understand why you might dismiss this as a lesser effort, but as a, as a, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, drag race film or whatever, like it was really well done. It, it's the same thing as like, you know, well, if you look at, there's all sorts of uh, his body horror stuff in there. Like the scene where, uh, I think he is either the bad guy pouring motor oil, Scott Glenn pouring motor oil over the girl before he has sex with her. Right. And the scene where they're peeling William Smith out of the car after he crashes, that's just pure Cronenberg right there. Right. It's like a lot of people dismiss Duel as Steven Spielberg's early work because they're like, oh, it was a made-for-TV movie. It doesn't really show off what he was going to bring us when Jaws came out. Duel is basically Jaws with with a friggin' you know, truck instead of a shark, yeah. you know? And so, I don't know. It, 
especially nowadays. You know how it is. People just like yeah. to be snobs. People just like to well, be snobs. Yeah, Fast Company stuff. is great. John Saxon plays a slimy, evil motherfucker in it, and he's good in it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. A, uh, you know, it, the character that he plays in that movie almost makes me wish that he had been, um, uh, oh, what's the actor's name who played the sleazeball in RoboCop? Um, uh, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, Dan O'Hurley. Yeah. Like, I wish John Saxon had played that part. Oh, God, that would have been so good. Oh, it would have been so good. And that's what I think of whenever I watch, uh, Whenever I watch that, dude, just to hear John Saxon go, bitches leave. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I think about every time I watch Fast Company. I'm like, oh, you know, the, his character in Fast Company is, yeah. If he could have played that character, and in I Robo love Cop David Cronenberg's story. He said he was sitting around. He had just filmed The Brood, I think, and he's like, and they're like. Uh, could you come to a racing movie for us? And he's like, I don't know. You'll get to drive around following NASCAR for six weeks and uh, film all the pit crews working. I'm there. <laughs> right? Now, yeah, that's what most Cronenberg fans forget. He is a gearhead. Right? I always thought... Now, much like I was talking about before with Duel, I always thought Fast Company was originally a TV movie, but uh, the more I've learned about it over the years, there's no way that that was a made-for-TV movie. It had to have no. been. It had Boobies. to have been a drive-in. Yeah, it had to have been like a drive-in hit or something because there's no way. It, it was a drive-in hit, but it was made for the drive-in crowd, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's a good one. If any Cronenberg fans are listening and you've never watched Fast Company, well, you better get on it. If you can yeah. even find it. Is, it. is it available anywhere? I think it's still in print. I think Blue Underground still has it in print. Finding the two-disc set with the early films of his with uh, uh, Stereo and Crime of the Century, now that set will set you back. Right. I have I have stereo. Uh I downloaded that probably from some pirate website years ago, like digitally, but uh yeah, I don't see stereo is on Naked Lunch Criterion and uh Crimes of the Future is uh it's either on Scanners of the Brood, I forget which. Criterion. I don't have a copy of Naked Lunch. I never really cared for that. That's probably one of my least favorite uh, Cronenberg films. Yeah. I, I like I like Naked Lunch. I mean, I have the novel. I like the novel, but yeah, I'm I don't just know. saying where the shorts are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. But, I'm just saying. That, yeah. Yeah. But, this next yeah, film. I got when I seen met when I met John Saxon at a convention. He had already, he's already starting to uh, get a little forgetful, but 
I handed him this movie to autograph and told him how much I loved his performance in it. And he looked at me like I'd waved a turd under his nose. <laughs> so I just got the movie signed and said, thank you, Mr. Saxon, and walked off. <laughs> and that would be the glove. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> to be fair, it is a fairly forgettable movie. <laughs> I just love his character, how much of a of a schmuck he is in this movie. His girlfriend robs him and all that. Everyone treats him like crap, and he just takes it. All right. And that great ending after Rosie Greer is murdered, and that guy's like, you got to help me, you got to help me. Help you? Fuck you. You just killed one of their own. I wasn't here. Bye. You would think that he would remember that movie, though. I mean, not only was he the star, but, yeah, Rosie Greer was in it. Um, oh, who else was in that movie? Uh, Aldo Ray, who was a big star coming up at the same time as, I mean, I guess not a big star, but he was a star coming up at the same time as John And directed Jackson. by Ross Hagen. Yeah, right? Hmm. Yeah. And Ross Hagen, I mean, he was never like a super director, but he directed a lot of stuff over the years, you know? And again, just like, uh, just like, um, uh, John Saxon, he came up through TV and and started, uh, you know, working his way into movies. And I think he probably worked on a lot of the same uh, TV shows as uh, John Saxon over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, definitely one of the people that was an inspiration for... Uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Um, I know that both Ross Hagen and John Saxon were in episodes of Kung Fu. I don't know if they were ever in the same episode of Kung Fu, yeah. but I know they were both in episodes of Kung Fu. Um, my yeah. favorite Ross Hagen, my favorite Ross Hagen uh, uh, character is from... Uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, sleazy biker movies, Hellcats. The Hellcats? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the yeah. glove isn't that bad. I just thought it was amusing that he looked at the movie and looked at me like I'd shoved the turd under his face. And I was like, oh, God damn. <laughs> it was funny, like you said, when we were talking about this the other day and you said that he kind of, seemed like he didn't even really remember doing it. It's like, dude, you had to put well, on, like, 20 He didn't want to remember like he'd done it. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, you, had put, you had to put on 20 pounds of friggin' armor and fight and, you know, hang out with Rosie Greer. No, it was like Rosie Greer, and it was just like a giant leaded glove. <laughs> right? That's all it was. <laughs> It looked like one of them cheap coal miner gloves that you would see in a wrestling pro wrestling match. 
I thought I thought he wore a I thought he wore a mask in that too. I thought he had like a big metal mask that he wore too. No, but. that was a dog trainer's outfit. They painted silver. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Next is one of my favorites, which I watched Tuesday, and that's Cannibal Apocalypse, aka the Cannibals Are on the Street, aka Invasion of the Flesh Hunters. This one was directed by another name that you would know if you really paid attention to the posters once upon a time in Hollywood, Antonio Margariti. Antonio Margariti. Once you get into B-movie action films and sci-fi, Margariti was one of the best. Yeah. And not only would you recognize that from... um, once upon a time in Hollywood, but um, isn't that also the fake name that Brad Pitt uh, uses in? Um, oh, Inglorious uh, Bastards. Yeah, yeah. He says his name is Antonio Margariti. <laughs> pretty accent, Antonio Margariti. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a very interesting Italian accent you have there. I uh, know I was in Tennessee for a little while too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, shoot. But yeah, Cannibal Apocalypse just hit Blu-ray, and it's over-the-top fun trash. And any of the things that the guy who plays the police commissioner says is just going to make you laugh on sight. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, my favorite, which I use all the time, and that's ashes to ashes and shit to shit. (laughs) John Saxon plays a guy who gets bit by these two guys in the pit over in Vietnam and he becomes a cannibal when they infect him with some kind of virus which they never explain what it is except that it makes you want to bite people and eat their flesh. Right. And, and unlike now, most of these films it doesn't go for the cannibal gore fest gross out but it does have the cannibalism it goes more for the action set pieces. Right. Don't now I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but correct me if I'm wrong. So it starts off in Vietnam, right? He gets bitten yeah. in Vietnam, right? And yeah. then don't they go? Don't they go back to Vietnam? Like, no, they end up in I, Georgia in the sewers. Right. I couldn't remember if they if they came back to America and then went back to Vietnam. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't remember. I haven't seen that one for a long time. But yeah I do remember what you're saying Yeah It's not so much about blood and guts and gore It's more about uh, Yeah just like action set pieces And fun stuff Uh, Yeah It's a fun movie And next is one of his most Another one of his more popular films And that's Battle Beyond the Stars The science fiction Remake of uh, The Magnificent Seven And that one's just If you love your cheap Star Wars knockoffs This is really one of If not the best <laughs> Right Yeah Oh it's, 
it is this is definitely a Star Wars knockoff. There's no doubt about it. I mean, come on. He starts or you know, starts off with uh a young farmer on an alien planet who has to go off and fight the evil tyrant. Like, yeah. No, this yeah. this is this is this is almost a shot for shot well, I shouldn't say shot for shot, but scene for scene idea for idea uh you know, rip off of Star Wars. And but, the Magnificent uh, Seven. Well, the Magnificent Seven, which Star Wars ripped off in the first place, so Yeah. We, we were already cards in it. Uh one of the guys from Man- one of the guys from the original Magnificent Seven actually plays the same damn role beat for beat. <laughs> <laughs> right. What I is always, fun? I always like this movie though because um you know I'm sure you know as well as I do, John Sayles wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. But I always like this movie because even though it is a hard Star Wars ripoff, it has not only John Saxon, but it also has um, Robert Vaughn and Sybil Danning and George Picard. Yeah, Robert Vaughn yeah. plays the same role he played in Magnificent Seven. Right. Yeah. And Sybil Danning in a tight bikini. Yay! Yeah. Hey, I'll... You can give me Sybil Danning in a tight bikini any day. I'm I'm all for it. But yeah. And plus, uh, ever since then, this is the reason why we almost never got Battle Beyond the Stars on DVD and Blu-ray. Every special effects shot in the movie has been used at least 50 or more times in other science fiction films. Yeah, right. <laughs> John Saxon told a story where he got royalty checks for movies he wasn't even in because they used certain shots from Battle Beyond the Stars where you can see him. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that does not surprise me. And the funny thing about that is the special effects aren't even that good, you know? I mean, they're passable for, you know, for an 80s sci-fi movie but they're not they're not good you know yeah but oh well that was the you know I I I was gonna say that was the industry back then but they do the same crap nowadays too you know we just don't notice it as much because there's so much CGI that you know like you think about the Star Wars special editions where they were able to add, you know, CGI characters here and there. Like, just not like in uh, A New Hope where they added Jabba the Hutt in that scene, but, you know, there are other scenes in A New Hope where, you know, they just have CGI characters lumbering by or they added extra stormtroopers in the background. Like, yeah. You know, I know that, you know, we're not going to go off on that, but you know what I'm saying? They're able yeah. to do that. So they're able to do that so easy nowadays that we kind of take for granted that back in the eighties, they just used to slice scenes out of other old movies and just 
drop them in to make sure that they had enough time to, you know, to, to yeah. fill a movie. <laughs> yeah. And so. we're skipping over Running Scared because I need to see this because it's got John Sexton, Saxon, and Jed Reinhold in an action war movie. That's enough salt <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm praying to God that I had a scene with Judge Reinhold in a machine gun going, Todd, motherfuckers! <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and next is a film that destroyed a whole studio. Gross Yay. International Pictures made a big bunch of money off of uh, The Boogeyman and a couple of other films. So he said... I'm going to invest all my money into one film. It's just a goddamn shame that movie was Blood Beach. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, there's only one good thing about it, and that's one line. There's one line in that movie that's great. Everything else is shit. And that is just when you think you could... It's safe to go in the water. You can't even make it past the goddamn beach. <laughs> I don't know. I I mean, again, I talk about this all the time, but when I was in high school and college, I worked at a video store. So that's pretty much how I fell in love with, with movies because I was just able to take any movie home that I wanted. I I could take 10 movies home a night if I wanted to and just watch whatever I wanted. So I saw a lot of, you know, crap movies when I was younger. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I kind of enjoy this movie. It, it, yeah, it's cheesy. It's a, it's a horrible movie, but I don't know. I, I like it. I mean... It's boring, and you it, don't even see the monster. If you blink at the wrong time, you miss the monster. <laughs> it's like Jaws, Stephen. It's like Jaws. You don't have to see the monster to be scared. <laughs> no, but uh, if you want something to happen, other people just get dragged under the sand. The only fun <laughs> part of this movie is Burt Young showing up out of the freaking blue with a stick of lit dynamite and blowing up the monster and just going, and that's it. <laughs> then he right. walks off and then the movie ends. What the fuck? What? <laughs> you know, what? like, where did that come from? Why did that happen? What the But this movie does start to set up. Uh, this, start, this, this movie starts to tee up uh, my favorite John Saxon performance because he plays the police officer who does not believe what's going on, and he starts, uh, you know, chastising the teens for hanging out on the beach when scary stuff is happening. So we'll get to that in a little while, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. This this is when John Saxon started filling out those kind of, you know, all right, I'm the cop, you kids are all crazy. Get off the beach, you know, kind of. Uh, yeah, but there's no of, escaping that they put so much. They put every cent they made into Blood Beach, and it destroyed gross international pictures dead. Yep. Yeah. 
I know. You got to, I, I wonder about that sometimes. Like, uh, you know, some of these movie uh, studios, just like, you got to wonder some of these studios that look at a movie and they're like, yep, this is it. We're sinking everything we've got into this. And you're like, really? Cause I saw the end result and uh, I can't believe that you thought this was ever going to make money, even just by reading the script, you know, like uh, <laughs> well, look at our favorite B movie studios. How many of them besides Roger Corman studios try to become big legit Studios, right? And then well, that's they're making money hand over fist over these little B movies, which do great. Right. And then all of a sudden they're like, "We're going to make studio picture," and then <laughs> they lose their ass. That's why Roger Corman is still around today because he always had the idea, like. You know as well as I do, and anyone who's interested in listening to our podcast probably knows as well that you know Corman would build a build a set and film three movies over a week on that same set. He'd he'd bang out three scripts and be like, "All right, well we've got the set here, so let's just use it for a western, uh, a horror movie." Um, you know, he'd just bang out three movies in one week. He'd use the same sets and just bring in a couple of different actors. And, you know, he, he knows how, that, that dude knows how to make money. He knows how to squeeze a penny for every dollar that it's worth, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. A lot of these B movie studios don't have that aesthetic. They don't have that idea. They just, uh, they you know, they're like, right, well, studio, hey. And they don't realize that most of the A-movie studios uh, weighs $10 to make 55 Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's amazing to me. It's not, not, just, not just movie studios, but it's amazing to me how much money that we waste in America on things like, you know, okay, look, I'm a big basketball fan, but I can't believe how much money basketball players make. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm a big movie fan, but I can't believe how many millions of dollars we spend to make the movies that we, that we get, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a ridiculous waste of money. And, you know, not to get all political, but especially now when hundreds of thousands of people are dying from a virus that we probably could have done something about if we had gotten on top of it earlier, you know, and we're still making billion dollar movies and paying, you know, sports stars millions of dollars. It's uh, it's ridiculous. And meanwhile, Roger Corman's probably still making money. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at the comic boom. You got all these unfunny guys who are charismatic and had one good bit getting TV shows, getting movies, getting into bidding wars over the rights just to make one album with them. Right? Yep. Well, you know me, man. I'm a stand-up comedian, so I see it all the time, you know. I'm out there. Not now, obviously, because none of the comedy clubs are open, but I'm out there 
scraping the bottom of the barrel with the same 12 comedians every week, you know, and meantime, we're watching some comedian who, like you says, you know, like you said, has one bit and, oh yeah, now he's got an album. Now he's got a TV show, you know, and we're out yeah, there working on Most comedians are like uh, with the old joke about the record. Go out and play your hits and get off stage. What? Right. We <laughs> want your hits. Oh. Uh, right. And I'm out there with, you know, like I said, the same ten comedians every week, and we're working on new material, and then we're hanging out afterwards, drinking beers, and telling each other what jokes worked and what jokes didn't work, and then we go back home and rewrite and rework and try it again next week and then yeah meanwhile some dude who's got one dick joke uh you know gets a record deal and a tv show yeah <laughs> or tells jokes about cool. how fat he is yeah oh yeah yeah but yeah oh, moving yeah. on uh next is speak well speaking of bad comedy wrong is right with uh uh, Sean Connery. I tried watching this movie. It's just not funny. Right? Yeah. Sean Political Connery. satire can be great when done right. This one, it's not done right. Sean Connery is not... He's not a comedian. He, I know he's tried his hand at comedy a few times, but I just... I, I can't take him seriously... As a comic, I know that sounds ironic, but I can't take him seriously as a comic. He's not funny. He's not a funny guy, you know? And then, I mean, this was one of the earlier efforts um, from Leslie Nielsen to transition from uh, serious acting into comedy, and he's not even funny in this movie. And the subject itself is too dark to go for the kind of comedy that they want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the What is the movie poster? Uh, the movie poster says something like, "In a moment, World War Three, but first a word from our sponsor." Yeah. Right. It's like, okay, well, that, that's kind of funny, but even at the time, I mean, that would be that would be kind of terrifying even now when we are, you know, when we have been on the world of verge of World War III for a couple of years now. But back in the 80s when that was a real thing, like, I remember, uh, you know, of course you remember the the TV movie the day after. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the day like, after and all that. And plus, how is Wrong is Right going to even try to be on the same level of the bed-sitting room or uh, Dr. Strangelove? Right. Yeah. John Saxon's yeah, in it, but this is a, one of those I call a generic John Saxon role. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't do he doesn't do much in it, like nothing that really stands out. 
Yeah, they probably tell him, you're not supposed to be as funny as Mr. Connery, but you're not supposed to try to outact Mr. Connery, but you're not supposed to do anything to make Mr. Connery look bad. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know. I Yeah, I, I think it, I think this movie's a dud. It's supposed to be a satire, but it doesn't play well as a satire, and, you know, it's supposed to be a commentary, but it doesn't play well as commentary. I, I, I think they screwed this one up from from top to bottom. You know? Yeah. Um, and next I, is one of his uh, last true written-in-stone classics, and that would be Darkness. No, 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 not Darkness. Unsane. Unsane. No, and it's really, we all know it as Tenebrae. Yeah. Yes, Unsane was the U.S. title of it. That just cracks me up. Hey, I think it's good slasher, and even though the already print really isn't cut that much, how are we going to capitalize on that? Let's call it Unsane. Ah, fuck, where's the booze? Yeah, and this movie I originally only watched uh, because it was a Dario Argento film, and you're right, I originally saw it as Unsane, uh, again, because I worked at the video store and I would just wander around before I went home at night and grab movies off the shelf. Uh, I saw this one, Dario Argento. I was like, yep, I'm going to check it out. Um, But, yeah, actually... uh, yeah, John Saxon is really good in this movie. Um, he plays the, you know, he plays the tortured uh, Smart writer. Agent. Yeah, yeah, he plays... Uh, Antonio Franciosa yeah. plays uh, the writer. He's the agent. The writer. Uh, John That's Saxon right. has one of the best death scenes ever in movie history. Right. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. It just shows him setting in the eye sitting in the plaza waiting for someone and then he watches this little boy go by with it bouncing his ball so he smiles and then he sees this woman walking by crying right you just see the gamut of emotion in him and then all of a sudden what the hell (laughs) right it kind of reminds me of uh of the scene in the omen uh where the guy gets decapitated by the uh by the pane of glass you know yeah. it's like like you see it coming just based on the build up you know like you know that something terrible is about to happen obviously you already know terrible things are going to happen because you're watching a horror movie but you see the buildup, and you know something terrible is about to happen, you know? But, I mean, it's not 100% comparable. You know, your analysis is, is more on point because, like you said, yeah, you see his range of emotions just before he dies. But, um, yeah, I like that kind of stuff. I mean, even in more modern horror movies, which I – modern horror movies that I don't care for as much, but things like, uh, you know, the, uh, 
the, you know, what are those friggin' Final Destination movies? Like, you know, those movies aren't great, but the anticipation of seeing someone die when you can see the first thing knows of the driving we'd have enjoyed we'd have enjoyed the hell out of it right <laughs> yeah being drunk right. on cheap booze or whatever with your friends in the car just looking at it like oh shit that's gonna happen man <laughs> right <laughs> oh, that's why I like the final destination films more than Saul cause you can even the dad he's just sitting there with a grin having fun looking at that ding 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 <laughs> right. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but if you haven't guessed, Tenebrae is my favorite Dario Argento movie. I know a lot of fans of Deep Red and the other and Suspiria are going to look at me and go, "Blasphemer." <laughs> no, I I think it might be my favorite too. I of course I like Suspiria a lot. Everyone does, but I mean that's like your go-to. If you talk to someone who's never seen a Dario Argento movie except for Suspiria, because it's his most popular, you know, but I don't know. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I think that's probably one of his, definitely one of his best, for sure. Yeah. So, um, I don't know where you were going to go next, and I'm going to... I know where I'm going to go next, and it's... uh, Prisoner of the Lost Universe, where he plays Cleo. Yes, this is his uh, Mad Max ripoff movie. Not that good. <laughs> right? Well, that's where I was going to go, too. That's what I was going to say. I don't know where you're going to go next, but I'm taking a left turn to Prisoners of the Lost Universe. And you're right. This movie is cheesy as hell. It is a Mad Max ripoff, and it is ridiculous, but I don't know. It's one of those movies that it's so bad it's good, in my opinion, you know? like If you were I, there, you would enjoy the hell out of this, these right? movies back then. We'd watch them and rent them and just have fun with them. Right? So, what happens? They, uh, the... Three people are transported to another world when an earthquake occurs just as a scientist is experimenting with his matter transmitter. Right, right, right. And then when they get there, they get to the the parallel dimension or or wherever they are, and then there's John Saxon. The barbarian warlord. But and he has a look uh, on his face throughout the whole film, like, "Oh God, please kill me!" <laughs> right? You know, he must have been taking the director aside every scene and being like, "Does my character die anytime soon? Does my character die anytime soon?" <laughs> anytime soon, yeah. <laughs> Does my character die anytime soon? I'm I'm done with this. Uh, and yeah. next is so, the one he did with. Uh, Fred the Hammer Williamson called the big score. It's okay. We can skip it. Yeah. And next is one of the his biggest flops at the box office of the 80s. 
No one told this movie what I'm about to say. It's fact. It got horrible reviews. It got horrible reviews from the major magazines. They called it bullshit. They called all of the the the, the nightmare scenes bullshit. You know, you remember they were like, oh, oh. It's easy to tell, and da 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 da. And then it hit VHS. <laughs> and let me tell you the story for how I first seen it. I went to the VHS store, and there was this series about four copies of this movie. And one of the people who was a renter there, you know, one of the clerks, put on the box. Warning, this is the scariest movie in the store. Beware. And when I read it, he's like, little boy, are you sure this is a scary movie? I mean, really scary. And I'm like, uh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, as you know, Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite John Saxon movie. I think he set the template. Again, as I mentioned before, he kind of teed it up uh, before when he played the uh, cop who doesn't believe that anything is going bad. You know, oh, yeah, you kids are just out of control, blah, blah, blah. That's a a fairly uh, common trope. Uh, for a cop in horror movies. Um, But uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, our parents took us to to the video store, and my brother and I each got to pick out a movie. Um, I can't remember which movie. I think he picked out The Outsiders, who directed that? Not was that, that Francis Ford Coppola? Was that Coppola? Directed yeah. The Outsider? Yeah. And I picked out Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, my parents went to bed, and my brother and I stayed up to watch our movies. And all I remember about watching Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time ever as a, as a preteen uh, is the scene... Uh, is it Johnny Depp who gets thrown up to the ceiling, covered in blood and splattered all around? I know he gets pulled down into the waterbed, but then he gets thrown back up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my little brother, who's several years younger than me, yeah, he was not impressed by that. That, that disturbed him, uh, deeply. (laughs) Uh, he may still be recovering it, recovering from it to this day. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I really like John Saxon in that because, like I said, he plays that stern uh, police officer who's like, no, there's nothing going on. You kids are just overreacting, you know. Uh, While uh, playing it like, oh, shit, those kids aren't lying. I know exactly what they're talking about. And he's carrying the guilt of what he did and is playing it as a concerned father first, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. He plays I, with I, all I, that I baggage and doesn't uh <laughs> Right? No, I, 
like I said, that that's my favorite John Saxon. I think he does a really he does a really good job in that role. He does play the he he plays it straight. He never he's never like oh, oh what oh, who Fred Krueger oh, I never heard of him <laughs> kind of thing you know like, yeah that he, that came from all of the ripoffs right right and then uh, you and I talked about it I mean uh, how eventually as the series evolves he does end up dying. Uh, yeah, in the third film, then, when he comes back, he plays as an alcoholic ex-sheriff. Right, right. And then, after that, we don't see him again until A New Nightmare, which, as we were talking himself. about... He plays himself. We were and talking about that earlier. playing uh, Lieutenant Thompson. Right. We were talking about that earlier, and... Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen A New Nightmare, if you gave up on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, which by all, you know, for all intents and purposes, you probably should have because it gets increasingly worse after the first film. But, well, no, the first, it gets in- for one, three, A New Nightmare are great. Uh, the second yeah. one is okay. If I have any complaints about it, is it's not gay enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, like, oh, we're going to yeah. be gay, but we're not going to be that gay. We're going to be very gay, but not that gay. <laughs> go go all uh, the way with it or don't go there at all. Because then you have the, all uh, these stories, even in the new documentary, My Screen Queen, oh, we didn't intend it to be gay. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Right. That's a giant bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> you got it taking. You got a scene where the coach picks you up in a fucking gay leather bar. There's no <laughs> ambiguity there. Yeah, and and uh, and the actors and are are saying, oh, we didn't know that there were any gay undertones. There are no gay undertones in the second film. They are overtones. They are screeching at you. This movie is about homosexuality, you know? And, yeah. but I guess, you know, it, it's, it's like the, uh, it's like the Seinfeld episode, you know? You have to be like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but can we at least acknowledge it? You know, like, it's happening. Yeah, it's I'm, like uh, when you catch your dog <laughs> and you see on the table there's a big chocolate cream pie missing. And you look down <laughs> and there's your dog with whipped cream and chocolate all over its head. That look that the dog is giving you is the amount of ambiguity in the <laughs> street. <laughs> what the right. fuck are you talking about? They're like, look, man, I don't care. I don't care that you're gay, but just say, hey, I'm gay. <laughs> that's, yeah, don't that's insult what you me. If you, had a, if you had a copy of the script for Nightmare on Elm Street 2 in front of you, that's what you would say to it. Look, man, I'm cool if you're gay. Just tell me that you're gay. <laughs> just yeah. say it. Tell me. 
Right. And they even have Elvis there, and they're harvesting his organs, selling to black market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It even has a scene I mean, where a guy buys Elvis's penis <laughs> for a transplant. <laughs> yeah, talk about. Uh, uh, I mean, this movie is a dark comedy. It's a it's a horror movie, but it's a dark comedy. Um, but yeah, uh, talk about movies that put, uh, studios out of business. Wasn't this the last movie that Paragon ever released? Yeah, but Paragon was just a paper scarecrow by then. Right. Yeah. I think, so, yeah, this might not have been the movie that put them out of business. If they would have put Motel Hell 2 on top of, on this movie as a title, I would not have complained. Right, yeah. It it yeah, it definitely could be Motel Hell too, no doubt about it. Yeah. They they should put this on a on a double disc with uh with Motel Hell 'cause yeah, they're these two movies are definitely uh sisters. Yep. Yeah. The arrival maximum force. Hellmaster the Baby Doll Murders, No Escape, No Return, Jonathan of the Bears, Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh, God. If I was going to pick really the worst film that John Saxon was in in the 90s, it would be Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah, well, again, I Beverly fell asleep Hills Cop- during it. I was 21. Beverly- I fell asleep. In the middle of a theater watching this movie. Beverly Hills Cop is another movie like The Matrix that did not need a sequel. We did not need it. The second didn't one need a wasn't sequel. that bad. It was bad enough. I didn't need it. The third one, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Killing I, I can't see it. 1994. Wes Craven's The New Nightmare. And can you guess yeah, what well, film I watched with as a double feature? It was like the second or third time I'd seen Pulp Fiction. So you watched an, you watched a double feature with Wes Craven's New Nightmare and it was Pulp Fiction? Yeah. That's why the starting what? time was so odd because Pulp Fiction was like, Remember, it's three hours. Yeah. And the only thing that was starting was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, so you're talking um, about going to see it. You're going to see You saw it at the at theater. At the theater, yeah. yeah I had okay. spent so much money during that year at that theater. They let me go see Nightmare, on El- New Nightmare for three. I know everyone that worked there. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go watch Nightmare. Okay, just go to the next theater. Right? Nice. And the only other two, the only one in there was a couple. And I had to get a security guard in two minutes. I'm sorry, people. If you get grossed out easily, I would tune out for the next. Fast forward about two minutes. The woman there, man. I went out to use the bathroom. I come back, and he was uh, pleasuring her with finger. Uh, and the whole theater uh, smelled like dirty 
pussy. Blech. Yeah, and I went out and told the security guard and all that, and they're like, "Oh man, you bullshitting!" And then the and then the security guard come out with a pale look on his face, like he's not bullshitting. <laughs> and then they kicked him out of the theater and shut the theater down for five minutes because they had to spray it with deodorant. I think they went to like one or two pounds of Lysol just to get that funk out of there. You know what you should have done then? You should have gone to the box office and been like, I'm sorry, can I get my money back? <laughs> what money? They'd already let me in free. That's the joke. Yeah, there's any dope with me throwing washcloths at that woman <laughs> she's walking out. Gosh, I'm trying to watch this movie, it's disgusting in there. I need my money back. <laughs> <laughs> and next is nineteen ninety six and he was uh in a small role in a movie directed by, was it uh, Robert Rodriguez? No. Was it Tarantino or was it Robert Rodriguez? Quentin Tarantino wrote it. Uh, Robert Rodriguez directed it. No, they both directed it, if you remember. The first part, Up to the Bar, was directed by Tarantino. And then once they got to Mexico, Robert Rodriguez was like, I got this. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I wish they would have had more with John Saxon in it, because everybody in the whole movie is like, ah, John Saxon, motherfucker. Yeah. The funny thing about that movie is, though, most people in it only had a small part. Like, it has a, it has a huge, um, it has a huge cast of, well, I I would say famous people for movie uh, fans like me and you, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, people who are into B-movies and whatnot. I mean, you know, they've got, I mean, Harvey Keitel is in it. Selma Hayek is in it. Uh, Cheech is in it. Donnie Trejo, uh, uh, Danny Trejo, rather, um, uh, you Tom know, Savini. Tom Savini, Fred Williamson, Michael Parks, John Saxon, obviously, who's who, who we're talking about. Like, it has it has a who's who of B-movie superstars in it, but most of the people only get a few minutes of screen time before they get killed off or, or they're just minor characters that only that are only yeah. in the movie for it's anyway, you know. Yeah, here's the funny but. part. Before the movie we were like Tarantino walked up to us like, Hey, I wanna have Michael Parks talking about how fucking hot it is outside for ten minutes. We're like uh, uh, okay. Ten minutes later can you make it twenty? <laughs> <laughs> so so you know the funny uh crossover story about this with um oh the Kevin Earl McGraw trilogy. Well, yeah, the Earl, no Earl McGraw but Yeah, he yeah, he showed up and yeah, 
which is a funny – that's a fun game to play with uh, Earl McGraw because he dies in Planet Terror, so you have to mix and match. No, the he dies in from Dusk Till Dawn. I think the lineup yeah. is Kill Bill first, Death Proof, Planet Terror, then the end is From Dust Till Dawn. Right. Okay. I'll agree with that. I'll allow it. But you know the funny story about uh, about this um so this the Kevin Smith crossover is um oh what's the what's the friggin yeah Jesus Christ I'm half asleep man what's the Kevin oh, Smith movie Oh uh, Red with, State No 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 what's the Kevin Smith movie where uh Ben Affleck has the little girl um, oh, Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl, right. So you know that the original, so you know at the beginning of that, uh, Ben Affleck has his little fit because they're having Will Smith come, uh, and he screams about, yeah, like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is ever going to be a famous musician, you know, kind of thing. And then at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, Will Smith shows up, that's kind of like the whole joke, right? Yeah. Originally, originally Kevin Smith wanted um, wanted to do uh, George Clooney uh, because that was around the same time that George Clooney was doing From Dusk Till Dawn, and he originally wanted that whole joke to be, oh yeah, like the guy from ER is ever going to be a movie star. That was his original uh, joke for that, but George Clooney wouldn't do it, so... He went with Will Smith. I don't know. Stupid Hollywood trivia, but that's that was the original joke was that they were gonna and make fun of George. Jersey Girl is one of his best films. His fans are stupid. Yeah, I know. Like, I feel like see, I talk about this all the time because um, you know, I always talk about um, movies like. People make fun of me all the time um, about, um, you know, liking, uh, like, if I like a director and I like all of their movies and I'm like, okay, I like all of, uh, I like all of um, uh, John Hughes movies. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I like all John Hughes movies. And people always make fun of me about it because they're like, oh, look at my movie collection. And they're like, oh, you like all John Hughes movies? And I'm like, yep. And then they look at my video collection and they're like, oh, so you like, uh, you know, Baby's Day Out. Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about all the movies that he ever wrote. I'm talking about I like all the dumb shit. I like all the movies that he directed. You know, and so anyone yeah, would I, think 
I'm going to take Jennifer Conley and put her in a tight white she shirt with no bra and have her on a horsey for five minutes. You're you're arguing against that? (laughs) No, I'm arguing for it. I'm saying that's cinematic genius. (laughs) And the fact that he Uh, pays it off that all the actors are just staring there instead of acting. They're just... And then he looks at the guy and goes, that's the best idea you ever fucking had. (laughs) You know, like we said with Elm Street 2, just go for it. Right? You're going to go, yeah, you know, if you're just going to do something (laughs) like that, just go for it. Who cares if it makes people like, you're disgusting. Uh, that's when you burp and fart. <laughs> you know. So we only have but a few yeah, minutes I mean, left. Right here we're in the forgettable part because we got like uh, Lancelot, Guardian, The Time, Party Crashers, Criminal Minds, Final Payback, Night Class, Out of Time, The Road Home, Trapped Ashes, which well, isn't that bad. Just because it's got I the last... Uh, Directed work of one of the people that I consider a god, Ken Russell. Oh, yeah. Well, we wrote a two part uh, article about Ken Russell on our uh, on our website. Anyone? Oh, uh, uh, guess whose segment uh, Saxon was in? I don't know. Stanley's Girlfriend by Monty Hellman. Oh, Monty Hellman? I know that Joe Dante and Sean Cunningham directed... Yeah, John Joe uh, Dante, Ken Russell, Sean S. Cunningham, Monty Hellman, and John Jatta. Damn. Yeah, I remember I remember watching that, but, yeah. Um, it's not that good, but... I, I thought... No, I think we talked about that before cuz I think when we uh when we wrote the article you hadn't seen you hadn't seen that yet and I mentioned it as one of one of his things that I really liked cuz he did the girl with the golden breast, right? Uh Stanley's that was the girlfriend. Ken Russell. Yeah, he that was the uh Ken Russell uh sequence. Oh, that was the Ronnie um, Hellman one. Oh, that girl was Girl with the golden breast is the one and it's great. Only Ken Russell could do something like with uh, nipples that open up in the teeth and eat people. All right. <laughs> yeah, God yeah. bless you, Uncle Ken. You mad man? But now we got old dogs, the Mercy Man, the extra. But yeah, when it comes to TV, I want to name the biggest one: the General Electric Theater, the Dick Powell Theater. Uh, Gunsmoke, he was in uh, five episodes, two episodes of Dr. Kildare, The Time Tunnel, Winchester 73, uh, three episodes of Bonanza, two episodes of Ironside, three episodes of The Virginian, The Sixth Sense, Night Gallery, 
Kung Flu. That's the other one I was trying to. That's the other one I was trying to think of when we were talking about uh, westerns. Was the Virginian? Yeah. Uh, the now, Rookie, Police Story, Banachek, Merrily Tyler Moore Show, Six Million Dollar Man, Strange New World. He was in both of a Roddenberry seventies pilots. Rockford Files, Bionic Woman, Starskin Hutch, Wonder Woman, Quincy, Greatest Heroes of the Bible, Six Episodes of Fantasy Island, Y50, Vegas, Dynasty, Falcon Crest, Hardcastle, McCormick, Scarecrow, Mrs. King, The A-King, Magnum P.I., Murder, She Wrote, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Ray Bradbury Theater, Monsters, one episode, Matlock, In the Heat of the Night, Lucky Luke, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, Liz, The Elizabeth Taylor Story, CSI, Master of Horror for Dario Argento, good good one, and War Wolves was the final. Now, the one thing that I'm intrigued about that I don't have much information about, but um, his uh, his last credited, um, when I was looking it up the other day on IMDb, his last credit is for this new film, Bring Me the Head of Lance Hendrickson, which was apparently completed in 2010, but has never been released. Yeah, they'll dust it off the shelf now that he's dead and they're looking for content, I bet. Right. Uh, How many times have they used that old gimmick? The bring me the head of, and then just (laughs) add the star, blah, 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 you know. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. It it looks interesting. Like I said, I, I never heard of it until I looked the other day just to try to do a little research before we did our show tonight. And I, I, I've never heard of it, but apparently it was completed in 2010. It's billed as a comedy and I don't know. He's in it. Yeah. He was a lot of great ones, but yeah, I would have to say my three favorites of his is well, four are the cynic, the rat and the fist. Uh, of course, Enter the Dragon, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Right. Well, I guess we're about out of time, so. You got to name your top five. We can go over a little bit. Which ones are your favorites of his? Well, you know, you know yeah. that I love me some Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I don't know Like I'm glad that you Went through the the TV stuff Because I do um, Of course A Nightmare on Elm Street is one of my favorites But I really liked him uh, On uh, Masters of Horror Uh, Did you We didn't talk about that on the show Oh god Uh, that episode was so good. 
That yeah, was the reason I was looking forward to a mother of tears because after how good Pelts was. Yeah, yeah, Pelts was really good. I liked that a lot, uh, and that was directed by Mick Garris too. Who I don't know, like Mick what? Garris is so. No. Under, he, he's so under the radar. Like he directs all those low key versions of Stephen King books.
how many shows and how many TV shows and movies he had been in until now. But yeah, he's he will be missed. But I promise I will continue to watch my VHS copy of uh, Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street endlessly from now until I die, which probably will only be a couple more years. But you know. And with that, good night. Thank you for watching. And don't forget, Saturday night we're watching Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Zone, zone. (laughs) All right, everyone. See you next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye.